Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back. It's the One Health Podcast. I'm your host, Tori Schmelzer. I am a fitness entrepreneur and fitness enthusiast. My goal is to share the knowledge I gather through meeting industry experts with as many people as I can. For those of you who are new to the show, each week we are going to bring on different experts in areas of health. So that could be mental health, physical health, professional health, spiritual health, you name it, we cover it. We don't claim to be experts on any of these subjects. We just know the people that are, and we interview them for the greater good. Thanks again for all of the love and support on social media. Anybody who's taken the time to give us a like, share, anybody who's got on that YouTube channel, watch one of our episodes. We really do appreciate that. If you guys could do us a huge favor, hop on that iTunes app on your phone, that little purple podcast app that everybody has on their phone. Click on that, scroll down, find One Health Podcast, and then leave us a review. We really do appreciate that. That genuinely does help us in the rankings. And for those of you who listen every week, as you know, our main goal is to reach and help as many people as we can. So make sure you guys do that for us. And a special thanks again to our sponsors, EcoGym. Make sure you guys go to ecogymworldwide.com. These guys are now offering a revolutionary group fitness class called Surge. It's going to change the way you guys think about group fitness. They're doing a promotion right now where the first week of classes is free. So make sure you go check that out. It truly will change your fitness levels. Um, It's just awesome. I've been taking them three days a week, and it has really stepped up my game. So make sure you guys go check that out. Today on the show, we have somebody that we've been working on getting on the show for a while so I'm glad he was able to join us, Dr. Rob Bolendorf. Rob, thanks so much for being on the show. Well, my pleasure. Thank you. Um, Rob is a professor emeritus of human services and the director of Drug Education Center, retired at the College of DuPage in Glen Ellen, Illinois. Currently, he is a licensed clinical psychologist with a private practice in Lyle, a native of Wisconsin. So am I. That was, that, that was interesting to find yeah. out when I read your bio. Right. Nice. Uh, who has still has a cottage there. Right. So you still got mm-hmm. your roots planted there, which is always good. Yep. Um, Dr. Bolendorf was the third person named by the College of DuPage as the Illinois Community College Teacher of the Year. And he has been named three times to the Who's Who Among America's Teachers list. So again, Rob, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Did I get everything in the bio there? Anything else I need to add? No, that's good enough. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent, excellent. So Rob is actually a member to Eco Gym and somebody that I was introduced to uh, about a year and a half ago when I was at our Naperville location. And Rob, you're you're an interesting individual. You got a lot going on here. So it was um, it's kind of difficult for me to like nail down all these questions, which route we should go with this. But I guess. The first thing that I wanted to ask you was, what made you get into teaching? What was that driving force behind that? Um, well, I, I started off, this is going, going back a number of years, because I taught for 40 years. Wow. Um, but um, I was actually working for the Department of Corrections. In, um, at that time, it was, the girls' school was in Geneva. That's since closed down, and it's moved to Warrenville now. Um, but uh, at the time, uh, there was some uh, teachers from the College of DuPage who were interested in upping the training for uh, all corrections personnel, particularly the what then were called cottage parents, the, the, the people who worked with the girls every day. Um, and 
I uh, uh, was then the director of training at the girls' school, and so I began to get involved with this, and um, they had an opening for, for a teacher, and I thought, um, gee, that sounds uh, really interesting. And uh, so that's, that's kind of how I got started. And we, when I first started, we would go to all the different correctional facilities, uh, both adult and juvenile in the area, and teach classes. So I was on the road quite a bit. Um, wow. But uh, it, was a, it was a very interesting experience, and that's kind of how I got started. Yeah, I, I'm. I like to hear that it was that line of teaching there. That's really interesting. You're dealing with individuals from all different backgrounds, people who right. had probably really messed up childhoods. Um, right. You know, statistically, that's what you mm-hmm. see in those institutions and things like that. Um, so, do you think that helped shape your teaching? You know, for later on in life. Sure. Yeah. I. Uh, <laughs> I always like to tell the story back. Uh, when I was working on my master's degree, um, <clears throat> that's back. This is back in the early '70s when encounter groups were very big, and uh, I uh, <clears throat> was was doing an encounter group with a group of uh, inmates at Marion Federal Penitentiary, which is basically the place that took over for Alcatraz uh, when Alcatraz closed down. Uh, so it was pretty heavy-duty people. Uh, but I, luckily, I was doing this encounter group in what was called the therapeutic community. So these were, you know, cons, and some of them were there for pretty serious offenses. But they'd already been working on themselves. Anyway, I was doing something that was called an empty chair with one of the very, very large um, convicts who was probably six foot four, six foot five, and uh, you know. Convicts don't have a whole lot to do, so a lot of them just spend a whole lot of time in the gym, and he was one of those people. And uh, I was trying to get him in touch with his anger. <laughs> um, <laughs> that sounds like what we call playing with fire. There Rob. you go. There you go. <laughs> I just wasn't getting anywhere, you know. And finally he said to me, he said, you know, I, really, I don't really want to get in touch with my anger because he says, the last time I did that, I killed six people. <laughs> so, oh my God. so so I did kind of back off from trying to get him in touch with his anger but it, it taught me a very valuable lesson and that is that I always believe that people know themselves better than I know them mm-hmm. and um, that if I believe I'm always going on the right track then I think I'm on the wrong track because yeah. uh, you got to take the person into consideration I think one of the hardest lessons me personally I've learned in life is that if you think that you know everything about a subject, you're in trouble. Exactly. There's always more (laughs) that you can learn and research and things like that. So I think that, you know, it takes a a big person to admit that, well, maybe this person, I might be the professional. I might might have my master's in this, but... This person knows their personality. They live in that body and that mind every day. Absolutely. So that's a that's a very interesting perspective. Um, so that was a an interesting segue into how you how you got into teaching, right? Um, which is excellent. Um, so you were doing that. You got your master's, and then what happened from there? Uh, well, uh, after I started at the College of DuPage. Um, Basically, the, reason, the way to move up on the salary schedule was to keep going to school. And so 
I, uh, I did that and went to Northern Illinois University and got my doctor's degree in counselor ed. Um, and uh, at that time, I was also able, with that degree, to sit for the clinical psychologist uh, license. And um, so, so that's what I did. And uh, then along the way, <clears throat> human services is just a broad brush mm-hmm. uh, uh, way of saying we really believe the similarities with helping people is greater than the differences. Mm-hmm. So we, we were training people in mental health and corrections and gerontology. And then one of the last areas to be added was addictions, which ended up being our most popular program back in the like 80s and 90s. Okay. So, and it's continued on today. So that's the path that you kind of took. You kind of stuck with more of the addiction side of things now? Did that happen later? Yeah. Actually, uh, I taught more of the support classes. I taught the interpersonal dynamics and the group dynamics and family treatment and that kind of thing. Um, But I had a brother-in-law who was uh, an alcoholic, and he was in recovery for a number of years, but finally um, lost his recovery and uh, ended up committing suicide. And so um, that got me interested in the, in the whole addictions area. Um, and I, I don't want to go into that whole story, but yeah, no, no. The, the, um, I also got very interested in telling stories. You know, having gone all the way through to my doctor's degree, it, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I always had a heck of a time reading textbooks. <laughs> <laughs> I thought textbooks were boring, and I would start at the top of the page and read to the bottom, and then I'd get to the bottom, and I'd go, well, what did I just learn? And it wasn't much because my mind was somewhere else. You know, I wasn't thinking about what I was reading. And um, so I got some ideas for stories, and I tried them out on on students, and they ended up liking them uh, more uh, more than the textbooks. As a matter of fact, once I remember once um, standing in the urinal in the bathroom, and one of my students came and came next to me and and doing obviously the same thing, and he said, "You know, I'm really mad at you." And I said, "Really? Why?" He said, "Well, because <clears throat> this was my first book, Sober Spring." He said, "I started reading last night just before I went to bed. I was thinking I was going to read a chapter and then." go to sleep he said and I ended up reading the whole book he said I didn't get to bed till <laughs> five o'clock this morning wow. so um, that was a, a very encouraging thing as far as I was concerned that uh, I don't think many people do that with textbooks where they oh. they find they can't put it down <laughs> no I, that's a rarity <laughs> yeah so you were teaching these courses and then you wrote this book and I read on your website that you started to, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you started to use those in lieu of the textbooks instead of some of them? It, actually, more as an adjunct to the textbooks. Okay, in um, addition. Okay. So, uh, but I did find that the, the students would read my books cover to cover, and they would read the textbooks based on just what they needed to know for the test. Mm. Um, so, okay. anyway. Okay, so you got into your own when did your own private practice come into play was it after you were done teaching or while you were still doing no that? I, I would do that as just usually 
couple evenings a week um, oh, okay. while I was while I was teaching. Um, so, uh, yeah, that started in 1976 was when I finished my doctor's degree, and then uh, after that I had to sit for the for the registered. Then it was called the registered psychologist exam, and I passed that. And then uh, so shortly after that I started small practice and pretty much continue to keep it small. I'm not interested in doing that full time. So, Got it. Are you in your practice, is it um, everything or is it specifically focus on addiction treatment or is it a little bit of everything? I, for a long time, did pretty much a lot of everything. Now, I actually have a very limited practice, and but I do spend more time going to various treatment centers and talking about um, various subjects uh, and as I hope we'll get into, one of one of my major interests is is uh, mindfulness, and uh, teaching that. Um, Got it. So, well, yeah. I mean, that was an excellent segue. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, one of the things you teach is mindfulness, and I saw that in your bio. Right. Talk a little bit about that. What is your approach with that when you're speaking to people or trying to teach them about that? Well, again, uh, as I've as I found out when I was teaching uh, all along, uh, I, I basically, a matter of fact, I'm, I'm all excited because I just found out probably next week my first book on mindfulness is going to come out. And again, I use a story to introduce it. Um, it's called Walks Tall the Moon. Um, okay. uh, and then the subtitle is just called Teaching Mindfulness. So... <clears throat> So when people, when people, mindfulness is a very broad term. Sure. When, if somebody wants to learn about mindfulness, what's a good description of it? How do you describe it to them? Well, first of all, there's a, a, a couple of different ways you can look at it. Um, some people believe that the origins of mindfulness started with Buddha back about 2,000 years ago. Um, the... The more modern version has been around in America probably for 50, 60 years now. Um, A guy named um, Kabat-Zinn is one of the first people to to define it. And he defined it in very simple terms. He said, mindfulness is paying attention to what's going on in the present moment without judgment or criticism. So... That's a simple way of looking at it. You can also look at it as a form of meditation um, where you may sit down for anywhere from a minute to a half hour uh, simply meditating. Usually for novices, the way you start is simply by paying attention to your breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, most people get very, very bored <laughs> with paying attention to their breathing, and so the first thing that tends to happen is their mind wanders elsewhere, maybe okay. to what kind of uh, people they're going to be interviewing for the day or, or uh, you know, uh, what, uh, what they have to do at work or something to do with their children or family or whatever, uh, but their mind, their mind wanders. And then um, hopefully, eventually, they become aware that it wanders. The first thing you want to do is note, where did it go? Where did my mind go? And is that pretty typical? Mm-hmm. If, I'm, if my mind is not in the present, do I run to the, to the, to the future? Do I go to the past? Uh, do I look at things that I did wrong in the past? Do I look at um, 
fears of things I'm I'm trying to do in the in the in the future. Um, where does my mind go? And then gently escort your mind back to the present. Um, it, it's funny. I I tried meditation last summer, or I think it was the summer before. I really wanted to try to get into it, so I downloaded this application on my phone called Headspace. Uh-huh. And it's funny, it, exactly the way you're describing. The very first thing they taught was your mind is going to wander and that is right. okay. Right. We're going to teach you how to let it wander and then some tactics to kind of bring it back to focus. And the first thing they did was, all right, let's start with your breathing. Let's mm-hmm. just have you focus on one thing. Okay. Now you hear noises outside. If your window's open, you hear cars going by, people doing this. All right. Now let's bring it back to your breathing. And the first seven lessons were just that. Yep. Letting it wander, mm-hmm. letting it come back, letting it wander. So it's really interesting that you mentioned that. Right. So that was a good description. So, yeah, and, and one of the things I totally believe that it's perfectly all right for your mind to wander. But one of the things that I do in the book is to try to give people uh, something else that they can focus on um, that allows them to maintain their current focus for a little longer. Okay. Um, so uh, besides, for instance, one of the one of the which is the other important thing I want to make. Mindfulness is not just meditation, but you can do, the, the idea is to bring your, your mind and your focus always to the present, whether you're eating, whether you're walking, whether you're exercising. Uh, it's one of the things that, that you know, my trainer is always te- uh, uh, getting me to focus on when I'm lifting weights or whatever is my breathing. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, you can use your breath, you know, you can you can be exercising and focusing on your breathing at the same time, which makes it a little bit easier to stay in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And again, that's that's the important goal, I think, for for mindfulness is keeping our mind in the present moment for longer and longer periods of time. Got it. It's never going to stop wandering, just yeah. maybe a little less frequent. And I think this is, and probably one of the reasons why you do this, is to alleviate some of the worry, right? Am I on the right track sure. there? Alleviate mm-hmm. some of the things that we're worried about. I find myself worried. I'm a worrier. That's just kind of how I am, and I, and I do try to work on that. But I was reading a book the other day, and it was bringing up mindfulness about there is so much wasted energy on worrying about things that haven't happened yet. Right, and we right. all we all do that, right? Absolutely. So you're sitting here worried about things that are not in the present. Mm-hmm. You're worried about all the future, future, what if, what if, what if, what if. So I think that's amazing, you know, trying to f- figure out a way to just focus on, okay, what's happening right now in this moment? Let's focus on that, mm-hmm. not what's going, what we think is going to happen. Right. And usually along with that, I think not only does our mind go to the future, which is one thing, if we were making plans or whatever for the future, that, that's one thing. But usually we add another element to it, which I call catastrophizing. You know, we not only go to the future, but we go to the worst possible scenario <laughs> of the future and go yes. there and worry about that. Yeah. So. I, I, and it's, 
it's so interesting. All of the, um, I listen to podcasts and I try to read books, you know, the Tony Robbins books right. and things like mm-hmm. that. All these great leaders, motivational speakers and things like that. What I'm gathering from all this information is that they do take the time to meditate first thing in the morning to right. bring things into perspective. And then that's one of the things that they preach when they give these speeches mm-hmm. and things like that. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so you've come out with this series of books. Mm-hmm. What was your purpose and your drive behind releasing these books to the world? <clears throat> well, uh, first of all, um, the last statistic I heard uh, was that there is 188 people per day dying of heroin overdoses. Wow. And um, there's 21 um, veterans, uh, Army and military veterans, committing suicide per day. Um, so it's a, it's a tremendous problem. My goal, though, is probably, at least for the first couple of books, was not so much to, my first book was on alcoholism, and my my goal for that was not so much to cure the alcoholic, because they're not going to sit down and read a book about alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, true. true. My goal was to try to um, educate and also give people around them some skills so that they could confront the problem and hopefully get them into treatment. And then it's treatment's job to, to cure the alcoholism, okay, uh, which of course you don't cure it, but to get it into remission. Um, so uh, that was my first book. My second one was really on relapse and recovery issues. Again, a lot of people go through treatment, but treatment is only you know somewhere between 40 and 60% effective. So we have a lot of people going in, but it doesn't keep. And so my next goal was to try and help people to um, maintain their recovery. Uh, And uh, so then my next book was on cocaine, and the next one was on heroin, then on gambling, uh, finally on PTSD. And the last one I tried to do was was basically on uh, the early stages of domestic violence. Kind of my goal is to look at the dating public, you know, which is probably usually, you know, people in their somewhere 15 to 30 range, um, and um, point out some things that, first of all, they might find to be very appealing in the beginning, but actually might be signs of of, um, potential domestic violence. Mm. For instance, control, you know, a lot of people might... uh, Young women, let's say, are, are very excited about the fact. Oh, my boyfriend wants to spend every minute with me. He does. He's he doesn't want me to see other people. He doesn't even like it when I go out with my girlfriends. Well, that's oftentimes a sign that he's gonna, mm-hmm. you know, limit your social um, interaction so that he has total control over you and what you do and what you don't do. So. Yeah, that's what we call a classic red flag. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we all know people that have been in those relationships. Absolutely, though. yeah. And it, like you said, it might not manifest itself right away. Mm-hmm. It tends to happen over the years. Right, right. So, yeah, that's interesting. So you have a tagline. So a lot of people 
so these are fiction books. Yes. Uh huh. So these, what was your tagline? Fighting, what was it? Fighting addiction with fiction. Fighting Correct. addiction with fiction. I love that. So these are fiction stories that you've used to guide people through these life issues. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. I find that really interesting because a lot of books that are out now are all self help books and yes. they do this, mm-hmm. do this, do that. So in the book, you're just talking about fictional characters and how they dealt with this? Is that kind of how you have it structured? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Usually, hopefully, in the end, uh, people get better. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to think my books are very, very optimistic. And uh, I think it's important to point out that probably the most successful program uh, in treating addictions has always been Alcoholics Anonymous. And when you think about it, that's basically people telling their stories. If you go to an open AA meeting, that's what it is. The only difference between theirs and mine is theirs theirs are real and mine are fiction, although it's based on what I think often happens uh, in those kind of situations. So So as far as addiction goes, um, I found it interesting that therapists, I had a handful of therapists on previously on the show, and they said that relapse is just a part of recovery they expect you to relapse yeah. almost as part of it and i was i was kind of shocked to hear that i'm like mm-hmm. well you're expecting them to fail is there what is it like 50 percent of them will relapse or is it more than that I oh don't yeah know it depends on the statistics you hear various things but yeah and and it depends on the drug too um heroin for instance the the relapse rate is n- almost 100 percent um, so, wow. I mean, again, they might eventually get help, but, but a lot of times it takes, uh, takes more than once. So yeah. when you have, when you're, when you're in your practice, you're helping people through this, is it, is, are you seeing more family members that go to you first and say, Hey, so-and-so in my family's addicted to this? Is that kind of how it yes, evolves, yes, I guess? Yes. And that's, that's again, sort of the subject of my first book is I really taught families how to do an intervention um, oh, okay. and, uh, and how to intervene and how to do it. But I think one of the important things, too, it, it would be a good thing for everybody to understand um, intervention because it teaches people the proper way to confront any problem. And, you, know, you don't have to just use an intervention to, to intervene in alcohol. Let's say you have an aging parent who is living by themselves and starting to leave the stove on and things like that, they also need help. And yeah. if, you know, if you can confront them in the proper way, it's not a guarantee, but the chances are a little bit better that they're going to get help, get the help that they need. I have two sets of grandparents who are extremely stubborn. <laughs> there you go. And I don't know if they'll listen to this, but... Uh... <laughs> There have been several members of my family that have been trying to say, you know, it might be a little bit easier on you guys if you went to a community that offered some help where you're right, not having right. to take care of the grass and the home repairs and this and that. I mean, at their age, they've kind of earned the right to relax a little bit. There you know go. what I mean? Yeah. And I know that's a very positive spin on things, but... right. You're right. It's an uncomfortable conversation to have with somebody that you love and you care about. Sure. And, you know, for, for them, it's a it's a pride thing. 
yeah. a lot of times, especially with some of the older generations. Right. You know, um, so it's interesting. How do you, so let's, let's dive into a little bit of detail here. What are some of the first things that you would tell a family, you know, like in, like in that situation, what's the proper way to start approaching that conversation to get through to somebody? Uh, I like to divide confrontation into three areas. And the first is, um, what do you observe? Okay. Um, and like in mindfulness, we want to do it without judgment. So rather than saying to a person, hey, last night you were drunk, it's much better to say last night you were slurring your words when you talked, you were stumbling when you walked, um, and things like that. It's, so that's the observation part. The next thing you want to do is you want to concentrate on feeling. So when you're looking at this, if you're a family member, how do you feel? Are, maybe it's at a party and you went to them together and you're feeling really embarrassed, not only for them but for yourself. Um, and, and then finally, what do, you, what do you interpret the meaning of that um, behavior is? We're always interpreting behavior. Yeah. We can't really get away from it. Um, you're standing there shaking your head, and I'm interpreting that to mean you're understanding and hearing what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And that makes me feel good. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that that's pretty much okay. what I do. And then I have them put it into letters. And okay. I, in other words, they start off with, dear so-and-so, I'm here because I care about you and I'm concerned about your drinking, your drug use, whatever it might be. So that's uh, kind of, in a nutshell, is what an intervention is. But yeah. like I say, particularly in this day and age with our politics being what it is and so many other things it's it's like uh we've lost the art i think of confronting people in a positive way and it's become very negative and and i'm afraid young people coming up may think that's that's the way to do it is criticize and judge and um i you know i just it's, I'm opposed to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough. I mean, there's definitely, uh, I think, a sensitivity in our society. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to offend this person. I don't want to offend that person. Right. But I feel like in these types of situations, you got to kind of tell them if you don't do this, these are the repercussions. Exactly. If you don't confront this, these are the repercussions. Right. And here's the right way to do it. Yeah, I think a good example of that is if you saw signs that somebody had cancer, would you keep it to yourself and not want to offend them? But when it comes to things like alcohol, then we're much more likely to, and I'm a prime example. I hate confrontation. It's yeah. one of the reasons I wrote the book. Me too, I'm the same <laughs> way. The I just don't way. like confrontation. So I, it does help if you, if you can put it in letter form. You can think about it beforehand. You can take out as much of the judgment and criticism as you can and just confront them with the reality of what is it, what's going on. Do a lot of these families ask you to be a part of the intervention, like be there that day when it's happening? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So your job is, I guess, that day to be a mediator between the two parties? Usually, Almost. yeah. Okay. It, you know, it usually we'll start off with, again, there's a lot of preparation, but uh, getting uh, all the people together in one room because it also helps, you know, if, if, if uh, 
a wife does it with her spouse, and she even if she uses the best techniques, um, it's probably not going to work. But if he, she can hear, he can hear it from his friends, particularly if you can get the employer involved. That's a huge thing. Um, so uh, you know, that's you got to get a group of people together. And then my job is often to say, "Hi, you're you're familiar with all these other people. My name is Rob." They're here because they prepared some things to say to you about your your drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, will you listen? So that's my next question. What do you do with people that see what's happening and then fly off the deep end, just lose their minds? How do you, I mean, are you sending the family out to get them back in the room? or? You know, it's, a, it's amazing how rarely that happens. Really? If you set it up, in the beginning with, are you willing to listen? And then after everybody's done, we'll give you a chance to speak. Uh, and particularly if you do it in an office, you know, like a, a counselor's office or, yeah. you know, uh, I've tried one time to do it in a person's home and that usually doesn't work because that's their castle, mm-hmm. you know? So it works much better if you can get them out of the home uh, to, uh, yeah to listen. So the first thing you're doing is having each person write this letter and lead off with, I care about you. You're, they're coming right. from a place of, I love you first. That's the right. first, that's the right. first strategy. Absolutely. Okay. So now that I've told you how I feel and how much I care about you, then what's the next part? What do you have them get into then? That's where the data comes in. Okay. You know, uh, and another important thing is you never, never ask questions. So I don't say to them, do you remember when we went to this party two weeks ago? Okay. It's always I remember. Because if I ask you a question, then I'm inviting you to answer. And I don't want you to answer. Yeah. Not at this point. I want you to listen. So. Okay. Okay. So then they do that. And they talk about their feelings and how it makes them feel. Now, once you get through all this and you allow that person to speak. I'm sure it's an emotional roller coaster first right. off. I'm sure everybody's sobbing most of the time. <laughs> right, right. At the end of, you know, the family all saying their piece, what do you see that tends to happen? What is that that person's reaction most of the time? Um, you know, and again, very very often it's what do you want me to do? And then the next thing is a very important part of this process is they should have exactly what they want the person to do. We want you to go to XYZ treatment center and get an evaluation. Again, we're not trying to convince them at this point that they're alcoholic or whatever. We want them to just recognize that they have a problem and they need to get help for that. Got it, okay. Do you see most of the times are they in agreeance? Yeah, it's it's amazing when I wrote Sober Spring, um, the a friend of mine was the uh, doing interventions at Hinsdale Hospital, um, and um, I believe it's now called Amita Health. But anyway, he would do probably almost an intervention a week, and um, about ninety percent of the people not only went in for treatment, but they were much likely less likely to relapse after treatment. So it was, uh, it was very, very successful. 
Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I've watched, um, you know, a couple of those TV shows, uh, intervention. Is that what it was called? Was it called intervention? I think it was. And that's, <laughs> there's a lot about that that I disagree with. <laughs> I, I figured I wanted, that's what I wanted to ask. I wanted to get your opinion on that. Was that dramatized for TV? I feel like me, you know, I feel like on that show, half the time they would try to look for people that would just walk out of the room yeah. and try to escape yeah. just for theatrical, right. You know, embellishment. The, the, the couple of problems I have with it is, number one, the focus is much more on their addiction instead of recovery. Um, and, uh, you know, the intervention tends to be the very last thing in the program, and I wish it would be much earlier. They also are okay with being dishonest with, well, well we're just going out for ice cream, and we're just going to stop here first. And, and I believe you, you're as honest as you can be without giving away exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, you tell people all along, hey, I've been going to XYZ Treatment Center, and our family has been getting help. Uh, how about if you come just once to share your point of view? So they know they're going to a treatment center. They know that, you know, it. It, this is being discussed. And the only thing you're not telling them is exactly, we're going to do an intervention on you, because then, of course, they're going to say, no, I'm, I'll pass. <laughs> Yeah, it was, that was going to be one of my other questions too. Yeah, is how does you how do you get these people in this room? Because yeah, if you're if you're just outright lying to them, it really blindsides them. I feel like that's right. a very negative thing right. to start with right off the bat. Yeah, and the other thing is, you know, we always try and do it with love. That 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 should be. I'm here. I'm telling you this because I love and I care about you, and I'm concerned about. Um, a lot of people get into what they call the bottom lines. You know, if you don't do this, then we're going to do that. Um, and then again, they, they may go into treatment, but they're, do, they're doing it because they feel they're being threatened. If they yeah. don't do it, this is going to happen. It's much better if they go in thinking, gee, my family really loves and cares about me, and they're concerned about this. Yeah, so. that, then your opportunity for success increases then. I like that. So you've done... You've done like speaking engagements in the past, sure, right? Mm -hmm. Where you go and give. What are your What's your approach to those? Are does it just depend on you know the organization that invites you in? Hey, we want you to talk about X, Y, and Z. Um, usually, uh, sometimes I I go uh, over a couple of month period, and I might do one on um, the family and addiction. Okay. Uh, I might do one on relapse and recovery issues. And then, as I mentioned, the other one that I do a lot is on mindfulness um, and teaching mindfulness, um, which is, I think, one of the greatest things for, for addicts. And there's a, there's a technique called STOP, um, which just, um, if you if picture a stop sign, and it's an acronym, the first letter means S is STOP, the second is take a breath. And taking a breath helps us to re-engage our brain instead of the lower parts of our, the upper parts of our brain rather than the lower parts. And then the third is observe. And then finally the last is proceed. I have a, a granddaughter who plays softball, and I, I like to use the example of okay, you're standing in the in the bad in the in the on deck circle and you're taking some practice swings. Stop take a breath. What do you observe? What do you want to pay attention to? How I'm swinging the bat, um, how my stance is, 
Yeah. Uh, and then once you proceed, then it's probably best if you only focus on one thing. I'm not a baseball expert, but I would yeah. think that would be focus on seeing the ball. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Yes, that makes sense. Okay. So <clears throat> who, how did you, who taught you about mindfulness? Was it anyone in particular or was it you doing your own research? Uh, a lot of that, I, having two different professional degrees, I'm an addictions counselor and I'm a clinical psychologist, I have to keep up on what's called CEUs, which is continuing education credits. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this now for 40 years, so I try and find some new things. Yeah. Not only uh, that might, since I, I'm, I'm less involved in doing therapy today, I'm more interested in things that um, are going to help me. <laughs> and so mindfulness looked like a promising, promising subject. And um, so I, I, we, I think we started off with a, uh, uh, the Great Courses, is, I think it's called. And uh, my wife and I, would we had, when we travel up to our cabin, it's about a four-hour trip, and we would listen to these mindfulness tapes. And uh, I just found it fascinating and very interesting. And so I've continued with one after another of those um, Got so, it. so you you recently released a book on that? That was one of them, right? No, that's the one that's coming that's out. That's the one that's a, coming out in a week. And okay. actually, I'm having a book signing at Eco Gym. You guys uh, got to come check it out, <laughs> Naperville, right? Naperville, yes. Eco Gym, Naperville. What? Did the, they nail down a date yet? Not yet, because I wasn't sure. I just found okay. out today that it's probably going to be out in about a week. So, okay. I think we talked about the end of May, because probably got by it. the time I order books, and uh, and the other thing is. Um, for all the books I sell, uh, I'll either give a dollar to PADS, which is uh, a homeless shelter program for DuPage County, or I'll give a dollar to Sharing Connections, which um, uh, picks up furniture and then takes it to a warehouse, and then people who are in need can come and, uh, and take the furniture home. Their, their goal wow. is, tonight everyone eats at a table and sleeps on a bed. Which I think is that's pretty amazing. Cool. Yeah, I really like that. That's something different that I haven't heard of. Right. Um, what is what's the name of the book that's coming out? It's called Walks Tall the Moon. Walks Tall the Moon. Teaching mindfulness. Okay, got it. And it's a it's a, I'm so excited about it because the the whole book is only about forty pages long, so you can probably read it in about an hour, but you'll you'll be finished and you'll have, ten new mindfulness techniques you'll understand the process and you'll have 10 or so mindfulness techniques that you can begin practicing right away and at the end of the book i even ask you to to uh commit to doing one or two of them and when you're going to do it so it's kind of nails you down that's awesome <laughs> when um so you said end of may that comes out uh hopefully it'll be out hopefully. in a week but but oh. by the time I get oh, then we'll do the book signing end of May. Okay. Once I get the books, then then yeah, then the end of May is when the books. Hopefully, the book signing will take place. If people want to, where can they go to purchase these books? Are they on like Amazon? Or are they on your website? Amazon, or? and you can also get them through my website. Yes. What's your mm -hmm. website again? One more time. It's called Fighting Addiction with Fiction. Fighting Addiction with Fiction dot com. Okay. Correct. Yes. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Glad you added the dot com. Yeah. I'm still new to all. I this. just had a guy. <laughs> I just had a guy on uh, earlier who had a dot org. 
So, oh, okay, yeah, it's so, important. Yeah, you got to clear that up, I guess. Um, if people want to, you know, connect with you, ask questions, is the website the best place to go to do that? I think the website also gives my email address. I'm still pretty okay. new to all this technology stuff. Yeah. So I think um, I saw it on there. There was a contact yeah, form right, on, right, on there. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so best is email me. Excellent, excellent. Um, well, I always like to wrap up the show with getting some practical advice from my guests. Okay. So what, I guess, I guess let's touch on mindfulness. Okay. Since that's your main subject here. What are two things that... I can start doing or the listeners can start doing to tap into mindfulness or start practicing? What are the first two practical things that we can start doing on a daily basis? I would suggest um, sit down uh, and maybe set a timer for one minute and count how many breaths you take in that one minute. And then the nice thing is, once you know how many breaths you take in a minute, you can stop periodically during the day. Most of us can find a minute <laughs> um, and take those breaths. And that's a, a great way to get started. And the other one that I would suggest, um, which I think uh, I'm, I'm 72 years old, and so there's a lot I'm... Uh, probably uh, behind on, but um, I find that driving is a scary thing to do anymore, particularly on expressways. You see people going 90 miles an hour and, and looking at their cell phone at the same time. Try mindful driving. Shut <laughs> off the radio. Put away your, your, uh, your um, cell phone and just concentrate on on driving your car, <laughs> and uh, that's a good one. Mindful walking is another excellent thing that you can start off with. I love that. I love that, especially the mindful driving part. <laughs> I I personally believe no one is paying attention anymore. I know. It's scary. <laughs> I used to have a job where I had to drive, um, you know, one of those UPS-looking trucks. I drove uh -huh. for a different company, but uh, and their number one priority was safety, safety of the drivers, right, and right. clean driving record and things like that. And it's funny, at the time, I thought that all these quizzes we had to take uh, on their on their um, website and all that stuff for safety were a waste of my time. It's funny, I actually learned so much from taking those. Yes. I still practice them. Like one of them is backing into a parking stall is actually the safest way to park. Because when you pull out, you can clearly see in both directions yes. if a car is coming. It's funny that you say that. But, yeah, I mean, I see people all the time and, you know, people say, you know, if, if they live in Florida, oh, Florida drivers are the worst. Oh, if they live in Illinois, oh, Illinois drivers are the worst. Oh, yeah. Wisconsin, Wisconsin drivers are the worst. People are just not paying attention anymore. Exactly. <laughs> so that was a very practical piece of advice. <laughs> and if you're listening to this podcast, please start paying attention <laughs> to others on the road. Um, for both Tori and myself. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Make it a little less scary for the both of us, please. Um, well, hey, Rob, thanks so much again for driving all the way out here, taking time. Um, I want to commend you on the work that you're doing to make people's lives better. And you've been doing it for a lot longer than I have. 
but I feel like we're on the same wavelength with this. We genuinely want to help people get to a better place, whether it's through fitness and exercise or through what you do. So I want to commend you on that. Thanks. Well, I'd like to commend you and EcoGym right back because uh, that's the reason I'm a very big on environment and and it's one of the ways that you're helping. Um, and I think it's so unusual that you have a... a uh, a fitness center that actually rewards people for coming in more often. I think that's that's. It's just, a crazy concept. I don't know yeah. why anybody hasn't thought of it yet. Yeah. <laughs> but you, we did. Wonderful. That's why we're in business. Exactly. And I'm, <laughs> Excellent. I'm proud to say I'm part of it. Excellent. Well, yeah. Keep up the good work on your workouts. You ride your bike to the gym like every day in the summer. Yeah. Anyway, well, what well, you're doing about, in the winter too? About nine months a year, I try and ride. Wow. So yeah. It's impressive. I mean, we just had a blizzard the other day. Right, right. And then it was 70 degrees the following day, so that was weird. <laughs> Between a stationary bike and my road bike, I try to do 3,000 miles a year. So Unbelievable. Unbelievable, man. Well, hey, yeah, thanks again for being on. I want to say a special thanks to the sponsors of the show, EcoGym, again. Thank you guys so much for taking this 40-some minutes to join us. Until next week, we'll see you then. Thanks. <laughs>